Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Heather Caslin. Heather completed her bachelor's and master's degrees in exercise physiology at Virginia Commonwealth University. In that time, she fell in love with health, nutrition, and exercise, but had a lot of questions about how they affect our immune system. Those interests led her to complete a PhD in immunology. Her dissertation work bridged her interests between immunology and exercise physiology as she studied the effects of lactic acid on mast cells in sepsis and allergic disease. That dissertation project sparked her current interests in how metabolism and immunology intersect, which she is still studying today. Heather is now a postdoctoral researcher at Vanderbilt University in the lab of Alyssa Hasty, studying how the immune system contributes to obesity and type 2 diabetes. Specifically, she studies how weight loss and weight regain influence the relationship between adiposity and type 2 diabetes in adipose tissue immune cells. While her primary job is in academic research, she also has a passion for education and science outreach, which is why I wanted to have her on to talk all about vaccines. In the episode, Heather tackles topics like do vaccines contain unsafe toxins? Can the flu vaccine actually give you the flu? And why do some people think vaccines cause autism? Aside from those questions, she answers so, so many more. She was so generous with her time, and I know you're going to learn a ton from everything Heather has to say. If you've been enjoying what you hear on the Health Investment Podcast, please tell a friend or family member about it. My goal is to empower as many people as possible to invest in their health so that they can look and feel their best. That's why I'd love to have your friends, parents, and crazy uncles along for the ride. I can't thank you enough for your support and help in spreading the word. Truly, it means so, so much to me. All right, let's hear from Heather. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing. You deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Heather. Thank you so, so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I love all of these scientific posts you share on your Instagram feed, and I have already learned so much for you, from you about various topics, including vaccines. So I'm extremely excited today to just cover some of the most common questions about va- vaccines and really hear the science behind them. Hi, Brooke. I'm really excited to be here. I'd love if you could start by sharing your story and specifically what led to your interest in immunology. Sure. Um, So I went to undergrad. I was interested in physical therapy at the time. So I was interested in some 
medium space between health and exercise. Um, I got really interested in exercise physiology. So that was my degree where I learned about health and exercise and nutrition. Um, And by the end of my undergrad, I got interested in research. Um, So I did a master's. And in the project I got to work on, um, we were measuring immune signaling molecules with exercise and stress. And so I had to take an immunology course to even like understand that project. (laughs) And that's kind of where I fell in love with that. So um, I really wanted to dig into immunology for my PhD. So I went to a lab where we studied allergic disease and sepsis. Um, And now I'm a postdoc at Vanderbilt University, which is kind of like residency for medical school, but for a research position. So I'm just kind of diving deeper into a specialty. Um, And our lab is basically studying how the immune system affects obesity and diabetes. Um, Mm. So I guess a disclaimer for your listeners, I don't feel like I'm a vaccine expert since I don't directly study those, but I also don't get paid for them. (laughs) I don't get paid Mm. by any company and my career is not dependent on them. So I guess there's like a good mix of no conflict of interest and um, a pretty deep um, kind of study of immunology in many different ways. Right. So deep understanding of them, but no I know that is, I'm glad you brought that up, sometimes a point of conflicts of interest and this person's just being paid to say these certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't even know that. That's cool, though, that you are sharing your unbiased approach and kind of just what you know from research. Yep. Awesome. What exactly is the definition of immunology? I threw that word out there, but now I'm even wondering, like, kind of what is that the study of exactly? your immune system itself. So the cells and the tissues in your body that mostly protect you from things like bacteria and viruses and parasites. Um, But they're also, we're really finding out there's a huge role that your immune cells play in keeping all of the tissues in your body healthy. Um, So it's kind of like a dual side of it that's really interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Well, in the sake of time, we'll just dive right into the topic because there's so many things I want to ask you today. Um, So I thought we'd kind of go through some of the questions and ideas I see kind of thrown around out there about vaccines and then just hear your take on whether or not any piece of that is true or if it's all false and kind of the nuance of each topic, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So one idea I see floating around out there is that better hygiene and sanitation are actually responsible for decreased infections, not vaccines. Yeah, so um, I think sanitation and hygiene, um, they definitely help, right? So that was a huge medical advance. Um, With poor sanitation, you have a lot more like GI and diarrheal diseases, things like dysentery and hep A um, that spread really easily through urine and feces and then get into our water supply. Um, And I think that with a lot of our plumbing and the way we have our system set up now, I don't think we could ever expect to have like 200 million deaths from the bubonic plague like we did at one point in time. Um, But I think especially as like COVID has shown us, um, just better hygiene and sanitation can't prevent the spread of viruses that pass by aerosols and droplets. So when we're breathing them kind of into each other, (laughs) that doesn't really help. Um, diseases like HIV that are spread through bodily fluids and things like, I don't know, Zika and West Nile and uh, yellow fever, those are all spread by mosquito bites. And so those alone can't really be um, taken care of just by better sanitation or hygiene. Um, Mm. So I would consider that one of probably like the top three best medical advances. 
Um, but antibiotics and vaccines play really important roles in kind of helping to cover what that couldn't alone. Mm, right. Another idea I see floating around, especially now, this whole debate about natural immunity. And I'll see people posting things like natural immunity is better than vaccine acquired immunity. Yeah. So a lot of my answers are going to be, yeah, it's that like nuance. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I appreciate that because I think that's important. That's an important discussion. I think so many people who talk about vaccines kind of go into it very black and white, but Mm -hmm. I do love how you talk about the nuance, which is why I wanted to talk to you. So I love learning that. Yeah. So on the topic of natural immunity, it is true that for a lot of diseases, um, natural immunity can be better. It's why we need a booster for some vaccines. It's why some need more than one dose. Um, But you pay a really big price for that, right? So when you actually get infected with some of these diseases, you're risking severe illness and hospitalization or disability. Some um, can cause cancer or birth defects um, and then death. That's like the ultimate price, right? Um, So natural immunity, there's a huge payoff if you're going that route. Um, And actually, a few vaccines can promote better immunity. Um, I think tetanus, um, HPV, the pneumococcal vaccine, um, those can all actually work better than natural immunity. So it's kind of um, a yes and no answer. What about, you mentioned a booster. What exactly does that do? What is that? So um, your immunity is known to kind of wear off over time. Um, When you first see a new, we call them pathogens, but it'd be a bad bacteria or a virus. Um, When you first see that, um, your immune system, you kind of have each immune cell like communicate with the next one to eventually help produce antibodies. Um, And then you have T cells that are the cells that can go kill um, a cell that's infected or the virus or bacteria itself. Um, And so that process takes about a week. um, And then that process can last a really long time. So vaccines are actually based on the principle that your body does this naturally, which is really, really cool. We kind of take advantage of the fact that you have these cells that produce antibodies and these T cells that can then persist in your body for months or years or decades. So a lot persists for decades. Um, But eventually, if we're talking like 30, 40 years down the line, sometimes those cells just kind of happen to die off because that's a really long time for a cell to live. Um, Mm. So a booster kind of helps reintroduce the disease that we're talking about. um, And it gives you kind of like a re-up on your immunity. Okay, gotcha. So important to stay on top of those as you move throughout your life. I remember I had to get a, I think it was a tetanus booster. Would that be right? Mm -hmm. Just a few years ago. Yeah, it hurt really bad, but. (laughs) They definitely hurt. (laughs) Is, does that one hurt more than others? Have I heard that? Or that's just me making that up? I don't remember. I do know like the flu one hurt this year, I thought, but then I wasn't mm. sore the next day. So I don't know. There's always payoffs. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I was a little sore the day of, but it definitely wore off. My dad used to always say, I don't know if this is true or not, but he would just say, move your arm around a lot the day you get it to kind of like spread it around. And I don't know. That was his trick to making it not hurt, but that's I what my do doctors that. always said. I always ask, like, I have to go dance after this. Can I, is that okay? And I'm like, yes, that's great. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, so he was really on to something. <laughs> Another thing I hear people saying is that we live in the United States and infection rates of some of these diseases that people vaccinate against are already so low in our country mm. that we here don't need to vaccinate. 
Yeah. So the question is then why are infection rates so low, right? This is like the really hard problem with the public health issues and marketing anything public health based is when it works, there's no story to report. Mm. Um, so we have really low incidence of diseases like measles and polio that are prevalent in other countries where they don't vaccinate. Um, and we end up seeing outbreaks in small communities of things like measles and polio when the vaccination rate drops low enough. So the reason we don't see these is because of vaccination and because we have herd immunity developed where you have so many people that have immunity to this, whether from a vaccine or not, um, but so many people have immunity that you can't find people to spread it to, basically. Mm, right. So, it's, yeah, it's kind of a chicken or the egg type of issue, mm -hmm. I guess. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and then this is probably just kind of a lofty one, but people mm -hmm. just talk about a lot of people spread, maybe not a lot, but I think people who are anti-vaccines or even vac vaccine skeptics are generally pretty loud um, on social media or different other outlets. So maybe it seems like a lot of people believe these things, but it's just kind of louder voices. I don't really know. Um, but I see people saying that vaccines aren't worth the risk. So what exactly are the risks those people are talking about? And is that are they factual? Yeah, I think risk is a really hard, I think about this a lot, because um, I think humans are actually pretty bad at assessing risk. Mm. Um, I mean, to like, survive as cavemen and to have like survived as long as we have as a species, we really relied on things that are emotional, um, stories from others, um, kind of thinking along with our groups, which is all a lot of interesting psychology that I like to think about. Um, but with vaccines, I think it's hard because we're really bad at assessing risk with just numbers alone. Um, and these numbers are often really big, right? So adverse effects that can occur with vaccination only occur about one in a million times. Um, but if you think about it, and I mean, that's not crazy, right? There's billions of people on the planet, so it's not zero. Um, but things like for measles, one in a thousand children who get measles get encephalitis or can die from a respiratory or a neurological condition. Um, and again, we don't see that often because we don't have a lot of cases of measles. Um, when we vaccinate these preventable diseases, um, we don't see what that risk is. So I think it's just really hard to assess that, um, especially when I think the stories of these vaccine um, adverse effects, the stories like stick in your mind so much more. Like, we don't go around thinking daily or maybe not quite daily. We don't think about like, oh, here are all the vaccines that I've had or my mom has had or my friend has had and they were fine. We remember those really awful stories of children who were hurt by vaccines. Um, so even when they're low in number, I think they still like tug at our heartstrings because we care, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's where it's just really hard. Um, those stories are really important. And I think, I mean, scientists still want to get risk as low as possible for anything, but there's risk to any medication. Um, even things like ibuprofen contribute to about 3,000 deaths a year among older adults. So we don't like think about those things normally. So I think vaccines are just something we've all like heard a story from a friend of a friend of a friend, or we read about it on the internet. Um, and it's just something like so emotional that we remember it so much stronger than some of the other stories that aren't as interesting. 
Yeah, it brings to mind just kind of a picture speaks a thousand words. Seeing an image and then reading a lot of science, that image is going to stick with you, as mm-hmm. you said, because we're such emotional beings. And I think it also is, as you bring up, we we don't see so many of the images of children in this country getting measles or certain things because there's such a low rate because of the high rate of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. So you know, a higher rate of vaccinations, I guess, then you would see more of the kids with vaccine injuries and fewer of the kids suffering from the actual disease itself. Is that true? Yeah. Or I'm even thinking about, I know I've seen like in immunology textbooks, we've seen pictures of like the iron lung um, back when we did get, I think that was uh, polio. I'd have to fact check that. Um, But like these pictures all are in black and white in a textbook. They're from before I think even my parents were born, right? Like they seem so distant to us because they're currently not happening. Um, But yeah, it plays differently than a story of someone from two years ago. So, Mm, Right. Another thing I see people saying is that vaccines can infect my child with the disease they're trying to prevent. Yeah. So this is only, I'll say it has happened once. In 1955, there was a batch of polio vaccines that was released that contained live virus in them. Um, So clearly that was an incredibly tragic event, um, but it's led to a lot of progress since then. We've come a really long way with our testing and our safety measures in place. We use different methods to manufacture the vaccines. Um, We actually have new vaccine types that don't even have full virus in them. Um, They'll just have little tiny pieces of that, including some of the COVID ones that are being developed. Um, And we have a national vaccine injury compensation program now. Um, that if those adverse effects do occur, um, we can at least try to compensate. Um, it never is 100% or makes up for it. Um, but so much has happened since then. And so really, there isn't any evidence of a vaccine since 1955 having the ability to pr- cause a disease. Um, they're all either dead, the virus is weakened to the point that it cannot replicate Um, Or it's not even a whole virus, which can't then cause any sort of disease. All right. So on to the next one. Something else I see is that vaccines contain unsafe toxins. And I think this relates to heavy metals, but maybe it's others as well. Can you kind of tackle that? Yeah, this one you definitely hear before, or I've definitely heard before regarding vaccines, but I think a lot of things... um, in the medicine, health world, all of that. Um, I think it's really important to remember that even though we don't think about it this way, everything in the world is a chemical and everything can be lethal at a high enough dose. Um, So we always go back to the idea that the dose makes the poison um, or the beneficial effects, whatever we're thinking about. Um, And so even though a lot of the chemical names in vaccine inserts um, sound scary, they're all used for something very specific. Um, Every ingredient in a vaccine is there for a really important reason. Um, And so I can go over a couple quickly. Um, One of the big things we need in vaccines are called adjuvants. These are substances like that aluminum salt or that metal that people think of. Um, It actually helps your body to create an immune response in the first place. Because your immune system, um, it knows that what we're injecting isn't harmful. Um, So you actually don't create a productive immune response if we just were to inject a dead virus. Um, So these adjuvants, they actually kind of kickstart your immune system and say like, hey, wake up, 
tell everyone to start creating memory around this thing. Um, so that's a super important ingredient. Um, you also have preservatives and stabilizers that prevent bacterial contamination and kind of keep the ingredients potent because um, you'd hate for it to lose potency over time or for you to get another random infection, um, but prevent the measles or something like that. Um, and then there's trace material from the vaccine production. So the big one I think people look at or kind of bring up is formaldehyde, but that's actually what's used to kill the virus or the bacteria in the first place. Um, and it does so by preserving its structure and proteins. Um, so your immune system actually sees the exact same thing it would if that was alive in your body. Um, but then this is washed out. Um, and so these very small trace amounts of things that are kind of left in the vaccine um, are so low that they don't impact um, human health in any way. Mm. So the heavy metals, those are part of the adjuvants? Or no? Yeah, so those are what kind of like awaken your immune system in the first place. Okay. I see a lot of talk about that. But, I mean, are, don't we ingest heavy metals through other things as well? They're in the food we eat. They're in water we drink. Um, yeah, if you really look at things, they're in everything. But, they, I mean, they sound scary. I get why people um, would be concerned. But we just don't see the ingredients of all the food we eat when we're taking, like, a fruit from an apple tree or whatever. Right, or even sushi or something, right? It's, yeah. Again, I think the yeah, dose... Yeah, it's definitely higher in fish. <laughs> yeah, the dose makes the poison, I think, is such a good thing to bring up. And just to remember logically that we're constantly, even through the air we breathe, dry cleaning. I mean, there's chemicals around us all the time. So it can be good to obviously kind of mitigate or reduce your exposure when possible. Mm -hmm. um, but it's such a tiny, tiny amount. Yeah. And we do test for these things. I mean, there are, we do do, there's entire um, phase trials within. So we do a couple of different phases of clinical trials. Those all test safety first before testing efficacy. So yeah. we do test safety in vaccines. Okay. Interesting. The real humdinger coming up here is I know yeah. you knew this was what was coming, but why do people say that vaccines cause autism? Because it's a really scary thought. And again, that like is a story that sticks with you, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this myth began back, there was a doctor named Andrew Wakefield, who was a physician, but has since had his medical license actually revoked. Because the paper, he actually wrote two papers, they were retracted due to fraudulent misrepresented data. And they actually um, basically filed him as um, basically doing scientific misconduct. Um, so it was, the papers did not have real or credible data in them. Um, and ever since, I can tell you, we've spent a lot of time and money and manpower looking for a connection because just because one study is poorly done doesn't mean it's not there, right? So that definitely like latched on in the media and in people's minds. But at this point, I would say we've done like literally hundreds of studies um, and we haven't been able to find any connection between autism and vaccines. Um, not when we look at specific vaccines, the total vaccine load, the ingredients. Um, so even though we can never say anything for certain, um, we've really studied this kind of fully and there's no evidence. Mm. Um, but I think it's hard. It's something that stays around because after you vaccinate children, after they first start getting their vaccines, I mean, you usually start seeing autism symptoms at like year one and a half or two. So they are 
they're not like 20 years apart, which is why people, I think, then link them in their minds. They're like, oh, well, my kid did have vaccines eight months ago. Maybe that's it, even though we've already studied this a lot. So Mm -hmm. I have a couple friends who are doctors who talk a lot about this issue. Um, But I remember one of them saying something, too, that maybe the signs of autism were there. But then the parents somehow kind of notice them more after the vaccine and kind of wake up to them and then make this kind of immediate connection. Because I think it's so it must be so awful and terrible to start to see signs of autism in your child and feel so helpless. So I think as humans, again, with this emotional connection we have, we want to explain things. Mm-hmm. So it seems like something that could be kind of the explanation that you could jump to when you're in that highly emotional state. Absolutely. And it's interesting you brought that up. They've actually done like hard studies on that where you can actually go back and um, parents of children who are autistic, they actually were able to find like video recordings as parents had taken um, before a vaccination. And then they showed those to a group of researchers who um, work with autistic children and they were able to see some of the really, really early signs that most of us would probably never even like blink over. Mm. Um, people have seen some of that. And I think it's hard. We don't have like one great explanation for why autism has gone up. I mean, we have genetics, there's a few environmental factors now there's like age of parents. There's just so many things that are changing that we are doing a lot of research to come up with more, but yeah, not having like one great explanation, makes it really hard for parents, I think. Mm -hmm, For sure. Uh, Another thing I've even had friends kind of talk about this before, but, you know, you have this newborn baby and it's so, so tiny and has the tiniest little features everywhere. So parents, new parents will say that maybe the vaccine schedule is too aggressive for these teeny tiny babies and their immune systems and maybe should be more spaced out. Yeah, I don't know if there was ever like one specific place that this kind of idea came from, um, except that even for parents who understand the reasoning behind vaccines and most of their safety data, um, I think it's just scary probably to make decisions about your child or for your child, um, especially when they're so little and helpless. (laughs) Um, So I think it really is, it just comes down to the idea that any decision you make as a parent is scary. Um, But if you think about it, our immune systems actually already see, I have that in air quotes, um, (laughs) a huge number of things a day. We breathe in viruses and bacteria and dust and potential allergens. Like you're, even if you don't ever become allergic to it, things like pollen and all of that. Um, So your immune system is seeing so many things. Um, And you can read about it from like a theoretical perspective your immune system actually has the capability to make billions of different antibodies um, based on the number of cells we have and the time it takes to make an antibody response. Um, The Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania, I think they have a really great website on vaccines. Um, And they estimate that you have the capacity to respond to about 10,000 antigens or vaccine components at any given time. Um, So even if you were to take all of our kind of recommended 14 vaccines Um, on the same day, that's only 160 components. So you still have like the potential to respond to about um, 10 or 100 times more. Um, So it seems like a lot to us, but our immune systems, we have so many cells that are 
can potentially recognize so many things at a time. That is actually pretty cool. Oh, interesting. So then what I'm hearing is almost they already are spaced out because you don't get them all in one day, right? As a baby. Yeah. I mean, you can get a few at a time. I mean, there's a couple of different schedules, it seems like. Um, But yeah, only getting a couple of vaccines at a time, you're not even going close to the limit of your what your immune system can handle, Hmm. even as a child. Okay, interesting. I'd love to now kind of jump into more specifically the flu vaccine and then get into the upcoming COVID vaccine. Um, I've heard that the flu vaccine can give you the flu. And I actually will admit that I once thought this because I got sick after I got the flu vaccine, but then I've now since realized that you get the flu vaccine when it's cold and flu season generally. And I was also a teacher at the time. So I'm constantly exposed to things um, on a daily basis, like you were just saying. So every other time I've gotten the flu vaccine, I have not gotten sick, but Mm -hmm. is it because of people like me who randomly get sick after they get it, that that's kind of the prevailing thought among some folks? Or why do people think that? I mean, I think, I mean, we brought it up earlier, right? Can you get a disease from the vaccine? Um, So it's definitely not just the flu that people think this. Um, I'll kind of reiterate the flu vaccine cannot give you the flu itself. The shot is a dead version of the virus. It cannot replicate. Um, And even the old, they had flu mist, which was just kind of like a weakened version. It still can't replicate. Um, But I do think that being said, I mean, there were extra precautions always taken by providers not to give that specific one to the elderly or immunocompromised. I remember I had asthma um, and they never let me get that one. So they're always like super cautious. Um, But in like, why do people happen to get sick? (laughs) Um, It takes about two weeks to develop a full immune response. Um, So if you happen to get the flu around that time, um, it wouldn't protect you super early. Um, I think people often kind of the symptoms that you might get after the flu vaccine. So if you get the vaccine and then you get a low grade fever the next day or you feel super fatigued, um, you might think that's the flu and it's actually your immune response. Um, So your immune cells are what cause you to get a fever. Hmm. Um, that response is what's happening. Um, so it happens to the flu vaccine, clearly not to the point of you actually getting the flu, um, but that can happen. And then, yeah, I mean, the flu, we often think of it, you need to have the fever, but then there's so many symptoms that you can also get with a cold or any other virus. Um, so I think it's hard for us to always know if we have the flu or if we don't. Mm-hmm. So the low grade fever you would get after getting the vaccine, that's actually a good sign. Um, It can occur basically within one to two days, so it's not going to last much longer. It's not going to occur any later. Um, You may not even notice it, Um, and I think it doesn't mean it's ineffective if you don't get that fever, but if you do, it's just a sign of your vaccine working. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm wondering just if this has any connection, but I know they always ask, do you feel okay? Do you have a runny nose or a fever or anything when you get the flu vaccine? Is that because they don't want people to get it? and already be sick and then think that the vaccine caused the sickness? Or is it because you shouldn't get it when you're sick? I've actually never been asked that. I'm trying to think. Um, I I get that a lot on the show. Constantly, I love asking questions, so. (laughs) Um, I see, I mean, that could be part of it. I do think that, I mean, we definitely don't vaccinate the immunocompromised the same way we vaccinate people with a healthy immune system. So I do think that there are specific diseases that may be counterintuitive or counterproductive for having a vaccine and your provider 
specifically may want to look more into that if someone is sick already. Mm, Um, They might potentially want to vaccinate later if your immune system is already kind of under attack from something. Um, They might not, you might not develop the exact same response if you're already sick and then you kind of have to deal with a second thing on top of it. But that's kind of just a hypothesis. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, What about when people say that influenza is not serious, so I don't need the vaccine? Um, So I actually looked up data on this because I didn't want to be wrong. Um, But the flu, if you look over the last 10 years, so within each of those 10 years, it's killed between 10,000 and 60,000 people a year, which is definitely less than COVID if we want to tie that in. Um, But it hospitalizes between 150 and almost 800,000 people a year. Um, So those are people with very severe illness. They could develop pneumonia and some of those people do die. Um, So for some people, the flu is very, very serious. And for a lot of other people, you get extreme fatigue, muscle pain, chills, sweating, fever. I mean, you get symptoms that last a week or more and can keep you completely bedridden. So I would say it's not entirely like a mild disease, even if you recover pretty well. Mm -hmm. What if somebody's thinking that they're a super healthy individual and they have an awesome, robust immune system, so they don't need to get it themselves? that factors in, right, to the whole herd immunity part. So you actually, even if you feel like you're the healthiest person, you should get it to protect others. Is that correct? Yeah. So vaccines, I would say they kind of protect from both sides. They protect you, which we're seeing even in COVID, there have been some very healthy people with no um, other diagnoses of no long-term chronic disease, and they've had very bad COVID experiences. So I would say we can't predict, even if we eat the best we possibly can and get exercise and sleep every night, we still can't 100% predict that we'll be fine. Mm. Um, But then also these diseases spread less um, and you're protecting people in the community that can't get vaccinated, like newborn babies or sometimes elderly, most can, but there's a couple differences. Um, People who are immunocompromised, like the vaccine protects you, but it also protects the rest of the world. So there's kind of those two two big pieces to vaccines. Mm-hmm. What if somebody gets the vaccine and then let's say two months later, they still get the flu and then they say it didn't work? Yeah. So um, I will go back to the idea. It takes about two weeks to develop immunity. So for everyone right now, if you haven't gotten the flu shot yet, early in the flu season is a lot better than later. Um, But on average, I mean, we can admit that the flu vaccine only reduces the risk of illness by about 40 to 60%. So that leaves you with about 50% chance of getting the flu if you've already gotten the vaccine. So it's definitely not 100%. But even if you don't get complete protection from ever having symptoms of the flu, um, we do know that vaccination reduces your risk for severe illness and hospitalization and death especially among groups like the elderly and pregnant women. Mm. Um, And this occurs even when the strains that we predicted for the vaccine don't match what's circulating. Mm. Um, So there is a lot of potential potential benefit, even if it's not 100%. So your disease is probably, it probably lasts for a shorter amount of time. You probably don't feel quite as bad. You're not as bedridden. You're not hospitalized. So that's always a good idea um, in any given year. But especially this year with COVID, um, it's going to be really important that if we can prevent a few more people from going to the hospital, um, that'll be a really big thing for fighting both flu and COVID this year. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a good point. I think so instead of if you do still get sick, 
even though you got the vaccine, like you said, you could still have a very severe cold because sometimes it's hard to kind of distinguish between the two. I know every time I get sick, I always forget the difference and I hop online and look at the two column chart of cold versus flu. And it does need allergies. (laughs) I said, even with allergies, I'm looking at those charts sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I love those charts. Um, But I guess what you can think instead of this didn't work, you could just think, I feel terrible now. I would have felt two or three times as bad. So good thing I got the vaccine because I don't feel worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's just hard to take like an anecdote or your single story and know exactly what happened every time, which is why we have scientific studies to kind of help us. Yeah, that's it. Better. That's a good point. Um, I know that there's different strains in every vaccine every year. So how long, let's say you get the vaccine every year for five years, are you kind of more protected than somebody who just got their first flu vaccine this year? Does it kind of stay in you? That's a great question. Um, I do know that some proteins on every flu um, virus are the same or very, very similar. So you can kind of have cross protection. Um, I don't remember how many like circulating strains we actually have though and how often those occur. And I don't entirely know how long immunity lasts to all of them. Okay. I'm sure it would probably be maybe case dependent too on certain individuals and their immune systems. Right. That's yeah. So we basically like predict based on what's currently circulating in the Southern hemisphere during their flu season, we predict what might circulate in the Northern hemisphere during ours. Um, and so it's kind of this guessing game. I mean, there's a lot of statistics behind it, and we look at a ton of data every year to do it. But, yeah, we're kind of predicting what we'll need protection from. And some years it's really, really good, and some years there was at least one year in the last 10 years it was pretty poor. Mm. Um, but you still get more protection than if you never had had the vaccine. So. Right, right. That's a good point. Well, you mentioned already the COVID vaccine, which I think mm-hmm. is in the news and is definitely worth talking about. The number one headline I've seen is that it won't be safe since it's being quote unquote rushed. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think calling it Operation Warp Speed to develop it was probably not the best marketing um, that we did. Um, But on this, I'll say, yes, it's moving very fast, um, much faster than it's taken for us to develop other vaccines in the past. But that's because there's so many researchers around the world who basically dropped everything they were doing to work on COVID. And there's been a ton of financial capital pushed into vaccine development for COVID from governments, from health organizations, from private companies. Um, And so we've overlapped a couple of the stages, um, like testing efficacy in primates while at the same time beginning to test for safety in very small human studies. Um, But there haven't been any stages that have been skipped or like judged differently. So we still have the same outcomes that we're looking for. Um, We still want to see that these stages are completed before we entirely are like approving the next stage. Um, So I guess I just want to say I'll ensure everyone that while scientists are going to push really hard um, for people to get the COVID vaccine once it's been shown to be safe and effective, Um, we're definitely waiting for that data to do so. So um, we'll definitely push for people to get a safe and effective vaccine once we've seen the data. Um, But until then, it's definitely just a waiting game, so. Real quick, I wanna take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. 
Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, that's a really cool point you made about how all the scientists in the world have kind of dropped everything and are working on this. I just got a cool visual when you said that of everybody rushing, I mean, all the most brilliant minds in the world working on this one thing, if not predominant, not the only thing they're doing, like it's one of their main focuses right now. So kind of a cool yeah like even when COVID was first kind of like announced um we actually like the genetic sequence of COVID was shared faster than like any genetic sequence has ever been shared it's kind of cool Hmm. yeah that is science is cool (laughs) uh so then people do then think or maybe think the opposite but that the COVID vaccine will solve everything or then some people I guess think it will solve nothing um so (laughs) what is the kind of truth in that I think it's too early to know. Um, I think it's honestly probably naive for us to think it's going to solve everything. Um, We definitely don't know what the efficacy is going to be or how many people will opt to get the vaccine. I think that's a really big piece of the puzzle. Um, But how I like to think about it or what we're seeing is that every little thing helps. Um, So there's a great infographic going around social media that shows it's called a Swiss cheese model. Um, where kind of nothing is perfect on its own. Everything has a little bit of gap to it or um, nothing's perfect basically. But if you wear masks, that's one slice of Swiss cheese and then you wash your hands is another and then you socially distance and then testing and tracing. Um, Each of those builds up a stronger kind of defense than if you had none of them um, or just one. And then if we can add vaccines in there, even with like a 50% efficacy rate, um, that will really, really help. so I think that plus like add in the likelihood that the flu vaccine can help reduce hospitalizations and deaths. Um, that could be like another Swiss cheese slice that we add to our puzzle. Um, and then if the COVID vaccine can also help reduce hospitalizations and deaths, which we're definitely going to need data on. I don't know that yet. Um, those would all be really big things to reducing hospital bur- burden and keeping people um, kind of alive and healthy. So. Mm. Yeah, that's, I love the way you're framing these things because I love analogies and that's a cool way to think about it. But it's a good point, I think, that even if it's super effective, it's not going to be just drop everything, go back to the movie theaters and the concerts. It's going to still be a process of doing all these other things we've been doing as well. And I don't think that we'll have to do them all forever. Like, I think that by saying that, it's probably like, oh man, we're going to have to like have these major life burdens every day. But other countries have had days and weeks and months with zero transmission. Um, And they go back to normal. So I see people in Australia right now, they just hit zero cases for multiple days. And they're back to opening bars and restaurants and people are going back out in public and kind of living a normal life. So it's totally possible for us to get there um, in the US. But at the state we're currently at, it's going to take a lot of work. So I just think a safe and effective vaccine could really help us. Mm -hmm. 
one of my Instagram followers asked, I always post a little question sticker sticker to see what mm-hmm. questions they have for my guests. And one of them asked, will the COVID vaccine have any new ingredients in it? So I had to look that one up and actually I can't. Okay. Um, so it seems like until things are FDA approved or at least um, their data is out there, um, companies don't publish their ingredients because it's proprietary, right? We have a bunch of companies right now all competing with each other um, to make a safe and effective vaccine and get that through the third or fourth phase of clinical testing. Um, But I can say most of our vaccine ingredients have all been used before. Um, They all go through at least two phases of safety testing. So um, phase one and two of clinical trials are both about safety before anything. We don't even start looking at efficacy yet. Um, and then by the time that's available, it will, that will be published, like the ingredients will be published. So we'll have a lot better idea of how to answer that once we have one vaccine that we're talking about and not 25. Oh, right, right. No, that <laughs> um, makes sense. And then once we kind of know more. So, um, if that person wants to follow me and come come back to that when we have like a front runner, um, I will totally look into that for people. Awesome. Well, I'm so grateful for your time, but the final question I ask each of my guests is based on the title of the podcast, and it's, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? That's a good question. Um, I think to me, it means doing little things every day that kind of help build a healthier lifestyle. So I'm thinking about making sure I get sleep when I need it, but I mean, I need at least like seven hours a night (laughs) to function well. Um, Reducing stress is like the big one for me, I think. Um, Just trying to think about like, oh, have I eaten enough protein today? Have I eaten fruits and vegetables? Um, Have I gone for a walk or done an actual exercise? Um, So just adding in these little activities can really improve our health, but also our happiness, I think, and kind of thinking about that side of things too. Yeah, I love that. Where can listeners follow and find you? Um, So I mostly do science communication work now on Instagram. Um, I think it's at Heather Caslin PhD. So H-E-A-T-H-E-R-C-A-S-L-I-N-P-H-D. I'm also on Twitter, but I use that more for like reading professional papers when they come up and some of that. Um, So I'd say Instagram is probably the best spot. Okay, great. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I'm also going to put a link. You said the Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania, right, has a really good vaccine research? Yes. Okay, awesome. I'll put that as well, a link to that, because that could be a cool resource for people to check out just to kind of find out more even than what we talked about today. Yeah, of course. There's always more to learn. Awesome. Well, I just so appreciate you sharing the nuance and just um, kind of all the science behind so many questions I asked you. I really just kind of rattled them off. So I thank you for answering them all and for being here with me today. Yeah, this was really great. And I think it was very relevant with flu season coming up, with COVID still being so big. I think that I hope a lot of people are asking these questions themselves and really looking for um, expertise and trying to find the answers. So For sure. And I love that that's your approach, that you hope people are asking these questions. Because again, I think some people don't even maybe entertain people's questions. If somebody has a question about a vaccine, I've even seen kind of, you know, not everybody, but people just kind of shut those down of like, we shouldn't even be asking these questions. They're safe. They're effective. But I think it is important when people have questions to kind of 
get into the details behind them. So I just appreciate your approach again. Yeah, of course. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.